Sobrio Ritter. I'm a behavior analyst and personal trainer, mom of three, living in the Bay Area, California. I'm so excited. That jazzy intro just gets me feeling all the feels and pumped up to discuss our topic for today. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast so far. Um, one of my friends said it feels like she's trying to take a drink out of a a water hose. <laughs> she said that there's a lot of, I'm talking fast and there's not a lot of pauses. So I'm going to really try to be mindful of that um, and give a little bit more processing time and just get to the heart of what I'm trying to convey. Uh, I really appreciate you listening and being a part of this journey with me. It's been really meaningful to me and I hope that it's also meaningful for you. So today what we're talking about is desensitization. So this is a behavioral strategy that's used to support people to start where they are uh, in not being able to tolerate some aversive stimuli and to be able to eventually get to a point where they're able to tolerate that stimulus to the extent of what they're desiring. So obviously this has implications not only within the fitness realm but within any realm of your life as most of what is meaningful to us requires us to tolerate some aversive stimuli. And one of the biggest problems is that moms will often, actually it's not a mom issue, it's just a people issue. You you go really hard in the beginning, right? You try to expose yourself to the aversive stimulus um, at a level that is not appropriate for where you currently are, right? The level of challenge is too high and what ends up happening is it's too overwhelming And then the lie you tell about yourself is, I'm not cut out for this, Um, that wasn't successful. If you quit, then you tell yourself, I don't stick with things, I can't follow through, right? This all comes down to potentially your starting point just wasn't appropriate for where you are, uh, which causes you to not be able to sustain it over time. So... In order to really feel like you create, you set yourself up to be successful, you create a plan that is going to be sustainable from the start, it's important to look at what it is that you're desiring to do and figure out what's a really good starting point for me and just begin there, right? The problem is that we want to be an expert at something, we want to be perfect at something from the jump and when you're not, you end up believing something that's untrue about yourself instead of really starting slowly and allowing yourself to build, right? The other thing is that when it comes to desensitization, this also has implications for just relationship building, tolerating aversive stimuli at work and in other settings. Uh, In her book, When Things Fall Apart, Pema Chodron discusses the value of not engaging in your addiction whenever you feel pain. So your addiction could be different for every person, right? It's When she's referring to addiction, she's referring to what is the thing that you do to avoid the hot, raw stimulus of pain. So for some, it's going to be eating. For others, it's going to be working, shopping, spending. It could even be meditating or exercising. I mean, it can be anything that you are doing to avoid just sitting with the pain and the discomfort of whatever you're experiencing. Uh, Even reaching out to a friend immediately to share your angst, uh, reaching out for validation. Um, For those familiar with attachment theory, for an anxious attacher, it could be reaching out 
you know, to your partner to like make sure that you're okay and to make sure that everything's good between you. For an avoidant attacher, it could be that you're pulling back and you're distancing yourself in order to, you know, feel like you're you're protected from that that intimacy and that vulnerability. Every problem in our lives boils down to how we respond in that moment when the pain hits. And the growth of your life, the growth necessary to move forward in the ways that you value lie within that moment of choice. So what we want to do is talk about the value of desensitization, um, the value of acclimating to something uh, uncomfortable, right? To being able to tolerate this this uncomfortable or, or painful stimulus. For someone working through body image anxiety, it might be that we start by simply walking into the gym to tolerate the discomfort of being in that space. So the problem is if you have body image anxiety and you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to work on this by by exercising, really trying to feel more comfortable in my body. And maybe you tell yourself, I'm going to go to the gym five times a week and exercise for 45 minutes. The problem is that this goal is like 10 steps ahead of where you currently are. Where you are currently is never going into the gym, not exercising, feeling really deconditioned, being super self-conscious in your body. So I worked with a client who initially I just wanted her to get into the gym to tolerate the discomfort of being in the gym. Just to tolerate the discomfort of people looking at her and the thoughts running through her mind and the self-judgments that she was having in that moment. We weren't even focused on the exercise. We were just focused on being in that space and tolerating a little bit of dis- a little bit of discomfort around being in that space. And then from there, we built to something different. So you can see how if you have multiple things that you're working on or if you're really early on in your journey, when you ask yourself to do something like go into the gym and work out five days a week, you're not addressing like the 10 prerequisite steps that may have come before that that you need to master before you can move on to the next skill. Um, The goal in life really should not be to avoid triggers, but to actively seek them out so that there's nothing to run from. The problem is that anybody with anxiety or anyone who is a procrastinator or struggles with those kinds of things knows that running from your triggers makes them bigger and scarier and they begin to take over our lives. So as an example, when I was in college, I had my first panic attack in the main school library during a busy morning. So on this busy morning, I was having a conversation with a friend that was upsetting and I went into the bathroom and started throwing up and I couldn't stop. And at some point between these this moment, these moments of throwing up, I must have muttered to somebody else in the room, another student uh, in the bathroom to call 911, which they did. And the, uh, the firefighters came and (laughs) one of the firefighters, (laughs) I grew up Mormon. One of the firefighters happened to be somebody who was in my congregation. (laughs) All the firefighters were yelling at me. What did you take? What did you take? Right. Uh, I hadn't taken anything except for just like working through, you know, adolescence, which was really tricky and hard at that time. And, this was so they had to wheel me out on a stretcher um, in front of everybody and I remember just covering my face and just feeling so humiliated and I could not return to the library for a long time right every time I even thought about the library I thought 
how am I going to get out if I need to, if I start having a panic attack, how am I going to cope with it? Like I couldn't even walk on campus. I had to stop going to class. The problem is that if you don't face that, it just gets bigger and bigger because then the next place, you know, if I go to the grocery store and I have a panic attack there, now I can't go to the grocery store. I go to the park. Now I can't go to the park, right? Your life gets more and more narrow if you try to avoid your triggers. The only way to do this is to allow them to be there and to tolerate the discomfort of whatever is coming up for you anyways, right? Because then what happens is it builds this learning history of, okay, I was in that place. One time when I was in that place, I had a panic attack, but 10 times when I was in that place, I didn't. And the problem is if you don't give yourself the opportunity to see yourself being successful in other moments, you are going to, your brain only remembers that one, right? And so your life becomes full of fewer and fewer options as time goes on. So the problem is that as we get older and we do have some control to avoid the aversive stimulus, we do. We know that we can't avoid work. You know, we know that we can't avoid certain people. We know that we can't avoid maybe family relationships or um, other like expectations or responsibilities in our lives, but we can avoid the extra aversive stimulus of exercise, right? We can avoid it in two ways. We can spend the time doing something different, potentially something that numbs us from the discomfort that we're experiencing. Um, you know, like eating or watching TV, which are my two, um, most, uh, maladaptive pastimes, right? Obviously nothing wrong with doing either of those things, but, uh, as a numbing tool, not my best choice. And we avoid it also by not stepping into the space of, uh, physical exertion, right? I, whether it's like a gym or just even working out in your home, um, there's so much aversive stimuli that pops up for us when we exercise if it's a new thing, right? We have the weight of gravity pushing against a, potenti- a potentially deconditioned body. Uh, then we also have not only the uncomfortable physical stimuli, but we also have the aversive thoughts that arise about ourselves. Like, I can't believe I let myself get here. Why is this so hard for me? Uh, if you're at the gym, maybe everyone's staring at me um, and judging me. Uh, exercise is so hard because that aversive stimuli is multidimensional, right? There's the sensory information, the pain in the joints, the muscles, the exertion, the rapid breathing. And then we have all of the information that your brain is telling you in words, you know, like, you're not good at this. Why are you even trying? You're not going to be able to stick with it. It's not going to make a difference. So you're having to overcome two things. Not only your brain telling you this is different and it's very uncomfortable and I don't want to do it, but also then all of the sort of like psychological pieces that come with that may be built on a previous learning history of not having completed something or uh, not feeling capable to achieve a goal. The problem is that anything good or anything that you want in life usually comes because you were able to tolerate something uncomfortable. Birth brings babies, dating brings a partner, effort at work or school brings new opportunities. Everything that matters to you also hurts you, but it's the learning to stay anyways. It's the learning the value beyond the pain to hold yourself in that place when every cell of your body is telling you to go. It's acknowledging that whatever you're going to get by staying is worth the discomfort required and it's knowing that staying over time causes adaptation within you 
that allows staying to feel slightly less horrible each time you choose to do so. So the wonderful thing is that when I go to the gym now, yes, I have all of the physical pain, right, of like the muscle exertion, which you start to crave over time. But that mental, right, overcoming all those mental barriers of I I don't trust myself to stick through this, I can't follow through, I'm not going to be successful at this, everyone's staring at me, I don't know what I'm doing, all of those things I've been able to work through, right, so that I'm really just tolerating on the most basic physical level the discomfort of exercise. And so it's not that the, that aversive stimuli goes away, right? It's not that those things don't occur to you, but you learn how to ignore them such that they don't affect you anymore, right? You become habituated to that negative stimulus such that it's almost just like white noise in the background. You, you can't even make it out anymore. So how do we do this? Um, what if the problem is the first step? So for most people it is. That first move that's required, especially if it's effortful, can seem super overwhelming and insurmountable. So if I'm out of shape and I have social physique anxiety, I have these two huge issues preventing me from moving forward. I have all of the anticipated discomfort of the thoughts that I'm gonna have while I worry that what are people thinking about me. And then I have the discomfort of working out itself. I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do it. Um, even if you're at home, like let's say I'm trying to get on the Peloton or the treadmill at home, I have to tolerate the discomfort of the workout in addition to the nagging negative thoughts I'm having, such as like, what's the point anyways? I have so much to do here at home. I'm too tired. Um, a good coach can help you create a plan to start where you are and build from there. Uh, they can teach you how to allow those thoughts to be there without having to believe or respond to them, to tolerate their existence, to allow them, right? If you're driving in a car, the car is your life, the path is your values, right? What, are, what direction are you trying to go with your, with your values? Which, which way is most meaningful for you? What you wanna do is you have all of these passengers in your car, right? And the passengers maybe are parts of you that are giving you feedback. So you might have your, your anxiety, right? The part of you that tells you maybe what's not going to work out as a passenger in the car. You have a passenger that's super excited and like wants to be like gung-ho, do everything. Let's go hard on everything, right? You have a passenger that's maybe like your manager, which means the person that kind of, you know, the part of you that sort of like is your planner and keeps everything like organized and aligned. All of these different parts of you want to support you to live a life in line with your values, right? The problem is that if I get super fused with any one part, now I'm not operating as myself anymore. I've let that part sort of take over and hijack what I'm doing. So if, if, my, if something that is hard for me, right? If I have a part of me that's, that is loud and anxious and a warrior, right? That's a big part of, of my internal self-talk is a lot of that. That part wants to grab the wheel and just like yank it, right? When the path is not looking good, when it's looking uh, uncomfortable, when it's looking risky, that part wants to tell me, turn around, turn around, turn around, right? That part will even grab the wheel and hijack it. And what you're trying to learn how to do is to allow those thoughts to be there, but without having to believe or respond to them. You can't, you can't force them out of the car. They're in the car, they're going to be with you. Um, 
in some ways it would be wonderful if you could, but you're stuck with them. These are parts of you. So it's learning how to say to your parts, I hear you and I see you. I'm thankful that you're trying to protect me from what you perceive as danger up ahead, right? I'm going to take that into consideration, but I'm going to choose to move towards my values anyways, right? I'm going to stay on this path. I'm going to allow you to be in this car with me, but you're not yanking the wheel in any direction. We're going to continue on this path. Some people, you know, sometimes you can hold yourself accountable to stay on that path on your own. Sometimes a coach is really helpful. For me, when I first started bodybuilding, uh, I had a coach because that negative self-talk can be very loud and sometimes can do in in the past i had noticed right a, a pattern where i could get derailed by my own negative self-talk and i wouldn't be able to sustain my plan over time so in that way having a coach was helpful to keep me aligned and to basically scaffold for me how to do this how to stay the course how to stay on track until now i know how to do that for myself right but i I was super honest with myself about my learning history and just this pattern where if it wasn't working, I didn't yet have those skills to coach myself through that. The, the goal is that you have the skills to coach yourself through. Sometimes it's helpful to have support, right? So a good coach helps you find where you are now and pushes only slightly beyond that each time as you shape your behavior to meet your final goal. So if you're struggling to do something, you want to begin desensitization by identifying the behavior first. Okay, so I'm going to give you some skills to coach yourself on this. Uh, for example, let's use completing a Peloton ride as our desired behavior. So the first step could be different for each person. Uh, if you have some trauma around exercise or exertion or you're overwhelmed by the side of the bike, maybe you were riding one day and you had a panic attack on the bike, your first step is going to be different than someone else's first step. Um, you might just start your starting behavior might be even just tolerating the sight of the bike or walking into the room with the bike or just sitting on the bike for a few minutes and then leaving right like maybe i'm going to go i'm going to sit on the bike for a minute i'm going to not have a panic attack probably right and then i'm going to now i've given myself a memory a data point in my learning history that shows okay I sat on the bike, nothing bad happened, we're okay. You want to get out quickly, right? You get in, you have a good experience, everything goes well, and then you end it. You end it when you're successful. You end it when you're on the high, right? You don't say, hey, I got on the bike, I'm not having a panic attack, I'm going to do a 20-minute ride. Like, I appreciate uh, and I see that ambition. The problem is if you push yourself too hard that first time, if you do have a panic attack, uh, you're not going to, it's going to be that much harder to get on. So like just start small and build and just tell yourself that you were successful because you did that first step. Don't start pushing yourself to do all these other steps, right? I did the first step. Great. I feel good about that. And then we're going to build slowly from there. So your step one is that you identify the behavior. You praise yourself for completion. You don't beat yourself up for what you didn't do or where you didn't get to in your goals. You're acknowledging that this is just one small part of many parts that are required to meet mastery in this final goal and you acknowledge and you appreciate that you showed up and you did what was required that day. So after you do that successfully for a day or two and if you feel ready to push to the next level of challenge, you can increase the amount of time required by sitting for longer. 
maybe you feel capable to start pedaling, right? So now I'm not just gonna sit on it for one minute. I'm gonna sit on it for two minutes and I'm going to pedal at a slow pace for those two minutes. Okay, great. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful sort of next step. Uh, maybe you just sit on it to, for two minutes and you don't pedal. Whatever you feel like, okay, I can do this. Um, you wanna have that outlined in your plan. So there are two different ways of doing this. So in one situation, there's desensitizing yourself to something that you already have within your repertoire. So like sitting and studying, maybe this is super aversive for me. I already know how to sit and study. I don't have to learn those skills, but I, I need to increase the time spent doing it. And it's so aversive for me that I need to start really small, right? We're, we're as an example, it's already in my repertoire. I just need to be able to tolerate for longer periods of time. If it's another behavior that you don't know how to complete, you may first have to work on mastering many smaller skills before moving on. So when I work with strength training clients, we, we don't start with the end goal, right? And just increase the time spent doing the end goal because the end goal is a complicated strength movement that requires not only endurance, but power and technique. Uh, so we start with other things. Uh, we start with more generalized endurance, stability, mobility. Uh, we start where they are. We start where they are and we build slowly over time. We build slowly knowing that this is not only required for safety, but it's required for longevity and sustainability, right? If you go too hard in the beginning, you burn yourself out and then you are demoralized and it's really hard for you to get yourself to start again. And it's also required because growth and acclimation takes time. Like this is jarring on your system. A complex power movement is jarring on your nervous system. It's very effortful. It requires you to engage a lot of neural pathways in order to be able to target the right muscles and activate the right muscles. And you need time to build up, build up those neural pathways. This doesn't only relate to strength training, it relates to anything. It takes time for your body to be able to tolerate some stimulus that is super aversive for you. So going back to the panic attack in the library example, I didn't walk back in and tell myself, okay, I'm going to study for eight hours, you know, today, and I'm going to just power through it and figure out a way to be here. I just started by, first of all, going back onto campus, like that was my starting point. And then my second, my second uh, step in my plan was to just walk into the library. So for a long time, I just practiced walking in and then I practiced staying for longer and longer periods of time. And by the next semester, I re-enrolled in school and it was fine. The problem is that people tell themselves, how am I ever going to, like, here's where I am now, which is totally petrified of going back on campus. How am I ever going to get to the point where I'm sitting in that library for eight hours a day studying? There's too many steps between here and there. I'm never going to make it. That's the problem. You're looking at the hundred steps that are required instead of just engaging in the first one, right? The problem has never been that you're lazy. It's just that there were a thousand steps between here and there, and you don't have the slightest clue about how to do it. And so then you don't. Or the flip side is you didn't fully acknowledge or appreciate the amount of steps or complexity of each step. And then you begin without an understanding of how long it would take and you burn out quickly because 
you realize that it was going to take more time. It was going to be more uncomfortable. But part of the reason that it's so uncomfortable is because you went from zero to 60, right? Walking into the library and being in there for five seconds isn't that uncomfortable. But walking into the library and trying to focus on studying for many hours as my first revisit to the library after a totally traumatic panic attack, that feels pretty uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be so uncomfortable. It can be so much easier. It's just allowing yourself to to slowly adapt. It's allowing yourself to build up over time. If it's too aversive too soon, it can't be sustained over time. And then the most sad thing of all is that instead of thinking, my plan was bad, I need a new plan, you think, I can't do things. I'll never graduate from college. And that's the biggest lie that people tell themselves is that they're not successful and that they're not capable. And it's so untrue. It's literally just a problem with the plan. It's such an easy fix. So if you start a plan and it doesn't work, all that means is that the plan didn't work. It doesn't mean anything about you or your character as a person. There's just a flaw in the plan. Sometimes it's hard to see because you're so close to yourself that you can't see objectively or get perspective. And sometimes it's hard to even identify that starting behavior because you're too clouded by the thoughts that it won't work anyway. And what's the point, right? Or you think, how is that something that I can celebrate? I'm going to walk into the library and stay for a minute. That's such a lame starting point. I, I can't, it's like too embarrassing, right, to even start there. My son does this all the time. He's 13 years old and we strength train together. And he, he's never proud of where he is ever, right? I'll say, wow, you're doing such a great job uh, benching the bar. Like, this is so exciting. And he's like, he's almost like offended by the compliment. <laughs> you know, he's like, that's not even impressive. <laughs> like, he's kind of like, he's like reactive and like defensive. Like, don't, imp- don't compliment me until I earn it, right? This is so sad. You are earning it. You're here in the gym, which at one point in time, you were super intimidated to even be in this space. You're benching the bar. A lot of adults can't even do that. You know, you're here showing up, trying this really hard thing. Like, don't do that to yourself. Don't don't tell yourself, oh, I don't get to celebrate my success until I earn it. And, And you have this preconceived notion of what success looks like. And until you meet it, you just think you're the worst, right? Success looks like I set a plan and every day I showed up for my plan. And even if the starting point for that plan was just walking into the gym, I'm going to praise myself because I'm on track. I'm sticking with the plan. Don't tell yourself, okay, when I reach that hundredth step, then I'm going to tell myself like I'm good enough and I'm proud. Because the problem is withholding praise from yourself and beating yourself up for steps zero through 99 is not going to be the thing that gets you to that hundredth step, right? You're going to burn out well before then because you're going to be like, wow, I really would just, I really just need a little bit of self-love and praise from myself and I'm not getting it, right? And I'm just going to give up. You need to show up for yourself in a way where you are acknowledging all of the steps that you are completing to get to this final goal that you have. So the really cool thing that happens in the gym and the reason that I love working with women in the gym is because the work that you're doing in the gym to ignore that voice to ignore those aversive internal events that you're having those thoughts 
that work translates into all other areas of your life, right? That now that I know I can walk through the gym and feel really empowered and feel strong and feel capable, I carry myself differently at the grocery store and at my kid's school and interacting with people because I know who I am because I've seen a glimpse of who I am in the gym. It was hard for me to get that glimpse in other areas of my life. And I think the biggest reason is because the other areas of my life felt so out of control and so big, right? Like raising children. Oh my God, it's so big. There's so much pressure to like do it right. You know, that it was like, okay, I, I, I can't tell if I'm doing it right. I'm still showing up. It still feels really hard. I don't know if it's working, right? I just needed some area of my life where I could identify that I was having these wins. I could identify that I was showing up and doing the work and that I was like seeing a result. And that's not to say that I don't see results in all the other areas of my life that are challenging, that are challenging in a different way, right? You see the results in parenthood. It's just that it feels so big and so heavy, right? In terms of the pressure. So what happened is that I started being able to take like all of this, this competence and all of the mindset work that I was doing at the gym and show up in that same way in the other areas of my life in parenting. So when you think of something in your life that feels hard, something that you had to overcome, but you continue to benefit from the lessons you learned even today, you can see how much value there is in learning how to tolerate that aversive stimulus and how not only were you able to access something that was really important to you, like you birthed a baby, now you have a baby, this is wonderful, but also what did you learn in birthing that baby? You learn how to trust yourself, you learn how to follow your own plan and believe in it. When I birthed my oldest son, I home birthed him purposefully and we were planning to do this throughout the pregnancy and everybody around me was very scared for me, right? It was all so well-intentioned. They really just wanted the best for me. And in that fear and in that desire of wanting the best for me, people would tell me things like, what if you die? You know, what if you kill your baby? What if it goes horribly wrong? Like, this is probably going to happen. Like, we have, you know, this, we have the hospital for a reason. There was, nobody said, yeah, this is a great idea. (laughs) Nobody. And my co-parent wonderfully probably thought all of these things in his own head, but was gracious enough to know that deep in my body, deep in my knowing, I knew that this was a thing that that I needed to do and wanted to do and had to do and was able to sort of talk himself through maybe some of the fears that were coming up for him so that he didn't then project them onto me. And it's really hard, right? It's really hard when maybe it's coming from outside of you and inside of you. I have all of those fears too, right? I had thought through all of those scenarios. And then to have other people also trigger those scenarios. So that could also be happening in your life, right? Let's say you go to the gym. You might not have supportive people around you. You know, you might have people saying like, really? Like, we're going to pay for you to sign up for a gym again? Like, you didn't stick with it last time. Like, this is expensive. Or really, we're going to pay for you to have a trainer? I don't think you're going to stick with it, right? That triggers some truth that you already believe about yourself. I mean, it's not true, right? It triggers some thought 
that you already believe about yourself. So this makes it a thousand times harder because now there's so many aversive stimuli for you to overcome in order to prove to yourself that none of those things are true about you. The thing is that that deep knowing that existed for me when I home birthed my son, that deep knowing also exists in you. There is something that you are meaning to do with your life or with yourself. There's some domain of your life where you feel like, I'm more capable than this. I want to push myself more than this. You know it. And you also know that you're capable. Deeply, deeply you know that. Right above that are all of the lies that you've told yourself, like, I can't stick through with things. I can't follow through. But on some deep level, you know what you're capable of, right? You know that you maybe just need a different plan. You need more support. You know that there's some area of your life where you want to show up more and that you're capable of doing that. There's just a lot of fear, right? It feels so far away. It feels like there are a thousand steps between the you that exists now and the you that exists there. But that's not a reason to say no to taking that first step. It's just one step. It's not the last step, but it's a step. And often it's the hardest because all of the inertia and momentum exists for another learning history, the behavior in which you've been engaging for so long, right? All of those behaviors that reinforce to you that you're not capable. Instead of starting by trying to do one huge long stride over the first hundred steps so that you can feel competent right away, you just need to get good at the first step. Right? You just need to tolerate the first step. You can't get good at anything without being bad at it first. Right? Is that such a simple truth that we often forget? You have to suck at something before you're good at something. It's hard. It's hard to face that stimulus without running. It hurts. It's embarrassing. It's humbling. It's intense. It's the worst. But what I've come to understand is that life is essentially a series of opportunities to tolerate aversive stimuli to stay here, to stay present in your body and in your environment, even when you want to run, not only from the context, but maybe even out of your body as well. The change happens when you choose to stay. You don't have to stay well or perfectly. You just have to show up for the amount of time you can. And then the next time you show up a little bit longer. So I want you to identify this week a behavior that you want to increase, right? A, a, an environment that you want to tolerate, a, a stimulus that is uncomfortable or aversive for you, and you want to work on increasing your tolerance for that. And I just want you to pick a starting point, but I want you to pick the right starting point. I want you to pick an appropriate starting point. I don't want you to start your running journey by telling yourself, I'm going to run a mile. I want you to start your running journey by telling yourself, every morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to put my running clothes on and I'm going to go for a short walk. That's your start. That is not your end, right? This is just the beginning. You just need to build up a learning history where you can trust yourself. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it. When I say I'm going to care for myself, I do it. Because what's going to happen is if the run is too aversive and you're already really having to force yourself to do it because you're pushing yourself too hard, there's going to be a morning when your partner is going to say, I have to get to work early. I need you to do all the morning stuff this morning or something goes haywire with one of your kids 
And now not only do you have to overcome this exercise stimulus that's way more aversive than it should be, but also all of the internal stuff that pops up when you're a parent. Oh my gosh, how could I self-care? How can I, how can I prioritize this when somebody needs me, when my partner needs me, when my kids need me? That's okay every once in a while, but your kids and your partner are always going to need you. And people are always going to be happy for you to show up and take care of them, even if you're not taking care of yourself. And that doesn't mean they don't care about you. It's just that people expect you to set boundaries for yourself for what you need, right? If my kids are like, hey, mom, can you take me to Smart and Final to buy a treat tonight? If I say yes, they're expecting that I said yes based on the fact that I could do it. If I say yes begrudgingly or I'm super stressed out or I don't have the time or energy, they don't know, right? So I'm, I'm angry or I'm resentful or I'm grumpy with them even though they don't have information, right? They don't have all of the information. It's my responsibility to say, I just can't run another errand tonight. It's my responsibility to say, I just have to go on this walk this morning. I'm happy to cut it short. I'm happy to show up for you in some other way, but I have to do this. And nine times out of 10, when you prioritize yourself, somebody else will find a way. My kids will find a way to do something on their own. Uh, my co-parent will find a way to complete the, the necessary activity, right? People are asking if you can help and it's okay to say no. I can't, right? Because I'm prioritizing this thing. So this week I want you to start, pick a behavior, pick an appropriate starting point, and just start there. And it does not have to be fitness related. It could be something like, I really, I really would like to get better at tolerating the aversive stimulus of reading uh, this informational book that I think will be really helpful to me in my life, but that I find to be really boring. Okay, so we're going to start by just creating a routine around you put the book on your nightstand, you get into bed five minutes early, and you read it for five minutes every night, and that's it. And after five minutes, stop. Do not push yourself farther. Do not make it more aversive than it needs to be. There's time. There is time for you to build up over time. You're just starting, so be gentle. This is a super meaningful topic. I know that it will help you in your lives. If you have any questions about a starting point and you can't really identify a good starting point, feel free to DM me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at DivergentFitnessCA. And I'm happy to brainstorm a starting point with you. This is the journey. We're just beginning. A year is going to pass anyways, right? Give yourself some time to master this goal in a way that's sustainable and in a way that isn't so uncomfortable or aversive, right? And at the same time, you're getting better at tolerating the aversive stimuli, but you're doing it in a way where you're doing it slowly over time. I'm super excited for you to be out there killing it at tolerating the aversive stimuli this week. Go get it, and I will see you next week. Bye.